Welcome to the WealthCast, where host Charles Bowinski and his guests share their global expertise and the most current information for your financial planning needs. Each inspiring interview will help you to maximize your financial stability and growth so you can have more time doing the things you love. And now, here's Charles. Hello and welcome to the WealthCast. I'm your host, Charles Bowinski. Today, we get to take a detour and talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is fly fishing. I am absolutely thrilled to have as my guest, Cam Coffin, the owner and operator of Blue Ribbon Flies in West Yellowstone, Montana. Cam is a lifelong resident of West Yellowstone, has tremendous reservoir of knowledge about fishing in the area, and is here to talk to me about fishing in Yellowstone country throughout the seasons, whether that's in the spring, summer, or fall, or if you're particularly hardy in the winter. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with Cam, but most of all, I hope it gets you thinking about fishing in Yellowstone country. Cam, thank you so much for joining me on the WealthCast today. I'm really excited to talk to you about fishing in Yellowstone country. Well, thanks for having me. So why don't we start sort of big picture and go down into some details, if you don't mind. At this point in time with COVID and and people worried about their health and not traveling as much as they would internationally, I know domestic destinations are becoming more popular. And I'm sure that that's impacted um, your business there at Blue Ribbon Flies. What have you seen so far with the whole COVID epidemic? You know, it's it's been a wild and crazy year, just like it has been for everybody. You know, we started out with uh, not having a season at all in our really good months of April and May were non-existent this year. And, and that was just not, uh, we obviously didn't know what to think about that. And then, you know, we got opened up about June 1 and started to have a few guide trips. But Overall, it's been surprisingly busy for us around here, and the fishing's been good, which doesn't hurt either. So that's been an, actually a nice surprise, despite what's been going on throughout the world. People have been getting uh, outdoors more now than I've, I've seen in a long time. A lot of new people coming. That's been one of the biggest surprises to us, is how many new people have been entering into the sport in 2020. Yeah, that that makes sense to me based on what I've heard and seen locally here in Pennsylvania as well. Uh, the streams have been relatively full and folks seem to be getting into the sport maybe for the first time or picking it up again after a pause for whatever reason. And that's good to see. As, as you know, I think that the more people that fish, generally speaking, the better for the environment. You know, people care about the environment when they fish and um, that's a nice benefit to uh having more people fish, more people interested in taking care of of what we have. I thought maybe it'd be helpful for those folks that are thinking about maybe venturing into fishing or fishing certainly in Montana or or the West Yellowstone area for the first time. Maybe we could sort of break the year into parts and you can talk about what fishing is like just generally speaking, in the spring, summer, and fall in Yellowstone country in case folks are thinking about making plans for heading out there next year. So why don't we start with the spring? Um, You mentioned this year's spring was kind of slow because of the whole pandemic, but uh, I imagine and hope that by next spring, things will be better. What kind of conditions should people anticipate in the springtime? Well, any kind of conditions, actually. Um, 
you know, we can be 70 degrees here and we're mainly starting April. I guess we should back up to there just a little bit. Um, some in March, but in April, you want to be prepared here for anything from 70 degrees down to 15 degrees. Mm-hmm. So you got to be prepared for all sorts of weather, different water conditions, actually. But it's a great time. Um, you know, the fish are hungry. You know, we still have some good hatches starting in the springtime. In that April time, we're starting to get betas and even some caddis running around. It's relatively calm here. And by calm, I mean there's not a lot of people out fishing at that point in time, although there has been getting more and more. People are starting to figure that out. We've been doing what we call spring trips for the last, oh, over 20 years where we bring people instead of just a one day, we bring them on a four day kind of all exclusive deal where we'll hit typically three, four, maybe five different bodies of water within four days. And that's been a lot of fun for us over the years and our guides. But yeah, you, you, could, you could one day be on the spring trip and fishing caddis, say, on the still water, and then you might be fishing betas later on to pew spring creek at 30 degrees. So you got to be prepared for a little bit of anything. That's, well, it doesn't sound unlike uh, a lot different than most fly fishing trips, right? You got to be prepared with for all, all eventualities. In those spring trips, are you picking folks up at the airport and then sort of creating an itinerary to go from stream to stream and taking care of all the arrangements or how does that work? Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it too, is is uh, you call us up, we figure out dates that work for you. We def- don't necessarily have set dates that we're doing, but dates that work for you. And then we, you just say, hey, we want to go. And uh, we meet you at typically the Bozeman airport. We pick you up there. You don't have to have a rental car and we take it from there. And we typically use that first day as travel day and get to where we want to go and then we just kind of cherry pick what we think is going to be the best fishing throughout those next four days and that could be floating it could be waiting it could be a combination of um, it just depends on the year and we started these trips out years ago because we were fishing and we were traveling and doing these things and we thought ah you know this is really good we might want to let people in on this and it kind of exploded since then. That's great. And what's the general time frame for those trips that you suggest people consider? Yeah, the last week in March um, through the first week in May is typically when we do those. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And most of it is pre-runoff, but late in April, depending on weather conditions, snowpack, all that stuff, you know, we could be experiencing runoff when you're out here that doesn't mean the fishing's going to be bad or or better uh just means it's you're going to have to switch tactics that's all yeah so you just have to be prepared for dry fly fishing nymphing maybe maybe streamer fishing i guess in the spring as well if the water's high be prepared to go a, a little bit on the fly to wherever wherever seems to make the most sense at the moment is that a fair statement you bet and it's yeah. just one of those things where just you put yourselves in the hands of one of our guides and you just go yeah. And, you know, just let them figure out all the options. Let them deal with that headache. All you got to do is get on the plane. <laughs> so That sounds perfect. So moving on to, you know, later in the spring and early summer, I suppose, how, how do things change? And, and talk about a little bit about the runoff and uh, for the folks that don't understand what the implications of that are. Uh, maybe it'd be helpful to explain that. So moving on to the next season. Yeah, you know, so we once we, you know, get in about that first week of May, we're going to start experience runoff. And and main rivers being Gallatin, the Madison, the Yellowstone are all going to be in uh, most likely in runoff situation. 
you know, we, we kind of cruise in to the opener of Montana, the Montana opener, which is the third Saturday in May every year. That opens up uh, the upper portions of the Beaverhead and a few other different streams around the area. And by that time, you know, we're starting to see a few more bugs, a few more hatches starting to accumulate, but we still have some dirty water in areas, but you still have clean water in areas. We fish spring creeks, we'll fish, you know, below dams, things like that on, say, the Ruby River or the Madison River. Here again, you know, we're running through a few options. There's always options. Springtime can be one of those times, it may not be great dry fly fishing, say, in the first week or two of May, and then we see that transition from, say, no bugs to runoff to where things start to clean up and we start to see a lot more hatches. And those first hatches usually typically will start sometime in June. And we start typically in our area with the Firehole River. And the Firehole lends itself very well to great PMD, Betis, and Cas hatches at that time. And that's mainly or one of our main rivers that we're fishing starting out in Memorial Day weekend. And then things just kind of escalate from there and you start building on all these different rivers. And then you come to where there's so many options, you're not sure where to go. <laughs> right, so. I understand. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing about, um, you know, fishing out in that area. When you wake up in the morning, you can go any direction you want and have, you know, incredible fishing. So it's, it becomes a chore just to whittle down your choices. In the late spring there, what time do you, you typically see the peak of the of the runoff of the snow melt? So typically that peaks by usually it'll peak by about that sometime the end of the first week in June. Mm -hmm. Historically, say the Gallatin has always peaked by June 10th, and you know typically clears up that end of Madison typically clear up sometime around oh that 20th to 25th of June. So normally by the 1st of July, the, the runoff is more or less, you know, run its course. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Once that seasonal sort of that, that big watershed moment happens when the runoff is over, how does the fishing transition at that point into the balance of the summer? Yeah, once those waters start to calm down and clear, um, they start to warm up, obviously, and they warm up to a point to where now we're seeing caddis and green drakes and PMDs and all sorts of bugs start to start to emerge. And this is, you know, a dry fly fisherman's dream at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And always in people try, we have clients who try to hit this every year when they first start taking dry flies, which can be a pretty magical time, which is around that end of June time. And we start to get really busy at that time, but, and, and rightfully so. Um, this year was no exception. Those first few days when, when they started coming up on the Madison, we had just some incredible fishing with, with caddis and, and, and PMDs. So you start to see those transitions, you know, at that, right at that last two weeks of June. And it's, it's, it's a magical time. It's one of my favorite times of year. And uh, again, it's hard to sort out because now you've still got perhaps a fire hole of the Madison in the park into play. You've also got the Gallatin starting to come on. You've got the Henry's Fork. There's so many things starting to happen that it's hard to, to sort through what the best option for the day. And, and it's hard to do it in one day. It's hard to do it in one week. And it's kind of a hard thing for folks that only have a week uh, to pick and choose through those options to, 
to maximize their time. Yeah, that that's understandable. I've been in that position myself, and I know how frustrating that can be, trying to whittle that list down. At what point in time do you start seeing the transition from the heavy mayfly period to the more of the terrestrial hoppers and ants and those sorts of things? Is that sort of towards the end, end of July more? Uh, yeah, toward the end of July is, is when we typically see that. Um, you know, it'll it'll taper off while they still do have some mayflies, and, and it all depends on what river you're talking about, obviously. We do start to see that transition, I would say about that 25th of July is really when it starts to happen and things start to turn over where the bugs are kind of waning and we start to see hoppers, beetles, ants, bees um, is a big one too uh, that I just want to mention that we've done really well with this year that people tend to forget about. So I thought I'd throw that in there real quick too. Uh, that's but, great. What type, of, what type of bees are they? What's the pattern look like? You know, we just have what we call an improved killer bee. Uh, it's a pattern that was kind of improved. We call it improved because it improved by one of our, our guys, full-time guys here, Aaron Freed. And it's mm-hmm. basically some uh, razor foam wrapped and with a little hackle on. It's very durable, but fish love bees. And it's something just a little bit different. Just kind of a little hint to folks who are listening. Um, always come with a bee <laughs> in that time of, time of year, you know, end of July through September. So Gotcha. And, and then heading into what I, I sort of think of as the third part of the, of the season, which is that end of August, September, early October season. Let's talk about that for a minute. What, what should anglers expect at that point in time? You know, at that point, that's kind of the time frame we're in right now mm-hmm. um, where you know, yes, hoppers will work, you know, but it's kind of a day-to-day thing. Ants, beetles, hoppers, you know, we're having, like right now, um, we had 18 degrees this morning. You know, it's going to warm up to, you know, close to 70 today. You know, things are not going to fish well in the morning, at least for, with dry flies. And then later on in the afternoon, you're going to have the opportunity to dry fly fish with hoppers, beetles, ants. But you're starting to see that transition. We're also starting to see now fish run up from Hegman Lake up into the Madison River, mm-hmm. our fall run browns, which can be spectacular from year to year. So we start to see that. And now you're going to start transitioning more from dry flies into to more nymphing or swinging or, you know, just flat out streamer fishing. Um, not to say that the dry fly fishing can't be good, but you're going to need some proper, some very certain conditions to, to make that happen at that point in time. Yeah, this as as you know, most of the time I've spent out there has been in sort of this time frame, September, late August. And it's really interesting to me how, how from day to day the conditions can change. You get a, a little bit of a overcast day with a little rain, you see a huge explosion of olives or betas, and then you get a nice warm day following and you might still have hoppers around. And it's it creates a lot of variety, uh, which I which I personally like a lot. This time of year, as as you know well, is is for me personally um, one of one of the favorite or one of my best times of the year. And part of that's because the crowds seem to thin out. They start to thin out anyway after the beginning of the school year. Yeah, they do. And you know, the the especially if you're fishing in the park, the traffic kind of slows down in there. You know, and you're, what you're seeing now is more fishermen <laughs> in there. I'm sure. I'm sure in this year, you know, given all the all the new fishermen and the people taking it back up again uh, compared to, to last year, must be must be quite different. Remind me again when the park closes in the fall. When does the season really sort of come to an end? 
So the season comes to an end. That first Sunday in November mm-hmm. is when that comes to an end. There's typically good fishing right up to that point. So uh, last year, uh, we had one of the coldest Octobers I've, I've lived here all my life, 48 years, 49 years. And that's one of the coldest Octobers I saw. It, and it's tough to go out and fish in negative degrees. It doesn't happen every year. It's kind of a rare thing, and I hope it doesn't happen this year. Right, so. yeah. Well, I've had yeah. I, I had one experience um, a couple of years back. You may remember I was out for a conference in, in Big Sky, and I came down to fish with Patrick for a day or so, and we went out onto the, onto the Madison, and I had to sit down in the river because it was a way to warm up. It was so <laughs> cold, but the fishing was fantastic. So we, we shouldn't probably leave winter fishing out of the – possibilities it's just you have to be prepared to go through some deep snow and and put up with some cold temperatures if you're going to do it yeah you know and we do we we fish every month of the year here a lot of where we fish because it's close for us we're fishing the madison um our head guy drew mentor and i try and go out at least you know half a dozen to a dozen times Every winter, we'll go out in January and February a lot, but we also pick and choose our days very carefully. You know, we want it to be at least 20 to 25 degrees out, and and it's very good midge fishing. Uh, You can actually see a lot of fish up on the surface, and that's typically what we're looking for. And we'll go down, and it's not an all-day event for us anyhow. We'd like to go down and leave here about 10. We're usually back to the house by 2 or 3, so it's Mm -hmm. about a 4 or 5 hour deal and that's that's enough for the winter time so understood understood so for for those folks that are head, thinking about heading out to your neck of the woods for for their first or their first trip ever or their first trip in a while let's let's talk a little bit about just basic fly rods and gear that you sort of are universally applicable and if you wouldn't mind just commenting what you think the most sensible starting rig might look like for fishing out there in, Yell- in Yellowstone country? Sure. For around here, you know, a nine foot, five or six weight is going to be perfect. There's bigger drives that you can throw uh, at any given time of year, which is nice to have a six weight or five, uh, but nine foot, four, four weight, five weight with a floating line is is perfect, especially if you're beginning out. Don't, don't mess around with anything, uh, sinking lines or any of that, because 90... 90% of the fishing that we do, maybe even 95, is going to be with a floating line. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be lakes or rivers, it can all be done with that. So if you're just starting out, just a nine foot five or six weight will get you started really well. Um, and typically, you know, as far as actions concerned on those types of rods, that doesn't really matter. That's a personal choice. So keep that in mind when, and always, you know, if you're buying something, go into a shop and it doesn't matter your local shop here. Always try and cast something and and see if it suits you. That's really important because so many people don't know what to buy. And the best way to do that is is try it out. Um, Put it on the lawn. At least you have some kind of feel for it. The other thing you want when you're down here is a good pair of waders. That's where you want to spend money. Rods and reels, yeah, there's all different levels of those. Um, But if you're serious about fly fishing, go ahead and get you a nice pair of waders, a nice pair of boots. I mean, even to start out with, I wouldn't go and and buy a cheap pair that's going to leak within a year. Go ahead and make that investment and, and go ahead and get yourself a nice pair. That's real important to have. Yeah, have, having comfortable feet and boots that fit 
well is really is really valuable um, and can make the make or break the day f- for you in my experience. So I think that's really good advice. And too, on the opposite end of that, just starting out, you don't need to buy a nine hundred dollar rod. Um, you don't need a five hundred dollar reel. Echo makes a great starter kit or something that you can piece together. I mean, and you can be in it for two to three hundred dollars, and and you're fishing. You're ready to go. That's where you can kind of scale back a little bit. Make sure you like it. You don't need the high-end stuff right away. If you keep into it, you're going to want it. But to start out with, keep it keep it pretty simple. Yeah, and most folks or many folks don't realize they can rent gear as well, or you know, at the shop, or it's available. So I think getting started and going out the first day, not sure, being sure that you're going to like it, or the first week, or whatever the case may be, that's always an option. Absolutely. And we do that. We have a rental program here, you know, at the shop of Blue Ribbon. If you take a guide trip with us, that's all included within that. And it's kind of nice. A lot of folks that have been fishing for years still rent because they don't want to carry all that stuff with them on a plane or whatever. And that's kind of a nice thing. They can use it and it's it's good equipment and they can leave it here. They don't have to worry about packing it up. That is a good way to go, especially if you're starting out and you don't know whether you're going to like it or not. Just let us take care of you here. And most places, not just here, most fly shops around this area are going to do that for you. Yeah, the the other thing I, I really encourage people to do when they're when they're just getting started is to get some lessons, whether what you know, hire a guide for the day or or for the period of time you're gonna be out there or get to get some specific casting lessons because it can make it can make all the difference in the world um in regard to your enjoyment that trip and and whether or not you want to continue to do it. Yes, and and we have, and I'm I'm just going to say it. We have the best resource here for that in John Jurisek. He helped start Blue Ribbon Flies, and he is one of the best technical casters I have ever seen. But he's also the best teacher I've ever seen. And it doesn't matter what level you are at. I still take lessons from him at least at least once a year. It's worth the time and the money to come down and just give John a call, give us a call. We'll get you in touch with him. It's worth taking some time to do that. Here again, whether you're beginning or you think you're a great caster, it's worth the time and the money to spend an hour, just one hour with John. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, you know, in my personal experience, I'll share um, the thing that I've always enjoyed about, um, you know, spending time at Blue Ribbon is just the resources and the the willingness to help. Um, and you and I have talked about this before. So I would encourage folks that are listening if they if if you're just thinking about going or you're not and you're not sure at all what you're going to do uh, or what to do, don't be bashful about calling the shop and and just saying that. Hey, look, I'm just getting into it. Fly fishermen in general want to help you. There's a lot of camaraderie in the sport, and um, I think you'll find you'll be really pleased with the response you get and the helpfulness that you'll find at a shop like Blue Ribbon. All our folks here, our guides, all of our guides have been here uh, at least, I think the youngest one's been here at least 10 years, I think maybe 15. Everybody fishes here. We um, schedule days off around fishing and everybody fishes here. Everybody's excited about fishing and they want to portray that, you know, to, to the folks we're trying to help out. So keep that in mind. It, and we're always happy to help over the phone or, or whether you come in. We're excited about fishing. We always have been. 
and I think we always will be. So. Yeah, I'm, I agree that that's a characteristic or those characteristics are absolutely in abundance at, at, at your shop. I would encourage folks, if you haven't subscribed to the Blue Ribbon Flies newsletter, we'll put a link in the in the show notes, but it's published regularly. It's really helpful. There's all sorts of tips uh, about fishing uh, in general and then fishing in Yellowstone country in particular. In addition, we'll uh, add a link to Blue Ribbon Flies and um, some additional resources that you might find helpful. With that, Cam, I, I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with me today and talking about two, uh, a subject that both of us really enjoy, which is obviously fly fishing in Yellowstone country. I look forward to seeing you uh, uh, again in the near future. Well, that sounds great. And anytime, I mean, if we want to sit down and get a little more technical about stuff, we can sure do that in the future. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I think uh, I can foresee a a couple other podcasts dealing with some of the technical aspects of fishing uh, down the road. So thanks. Thanks so much, Cam. Anytime. Thank you so much for joining Cam Confident and myself as we discussed fishing in Yellowstone country throughout the year. We've made available on our website a guide to fishing in Yellowstone country. It's a free downloadable PDF. It's chock full of information about fishing in Yellowstone country, particularly in the fall, which is my personal favorite time to fish there. In addition, I suggest strongly that you go visit Blue Ribbon Flies website at www.blueribbonflies.com and sign up for their newsletter. It's published every week like clockwork, and it is always full of useful information about fishing in Yellowstone country patterns, interesting new fly fishing gear, which you can never have enough of, and just tips and techniques. So please take the opportunity to visit their website and also take the opportunity to download our guide to fishing in Yellowstone country. Thanks again for joining us and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to The Wealthcast. You can get all the details on this episode, our guests, and everything you need to know so you can create and enjoy the luxury of financial independence by visiting us at moderawealth.com slash thewealthcast. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you catch every episode. We'll see you next time on The Wealthcast. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.